to the Blue Roads Changemaker Podcast. I'm Patty Talbot, CEO and co-founder of Blue Roads Education Group. In this series, you'll hear reflections about what it means to be a homegrown changemaker. We focus interviews around the Blue Roads mantra, homegrown solutions for a patchwork world. Our guests are amazing changemakers, solutionaries, and social innovators who've taken the path from local citizen to global changemaker and or from global citizen to local changemaker by working to change the system that creates the world's most challenging issues close to home and around the globe. I ask participants to tell us about their origins, how they've engaged with others different from themselves, how they work to create solutions, and how they've used these experiences to make the leap to changemakers addressing the UN Sustainable Development Goals. As their host, I try hard to take myself out of the conversation as much as possible so you won't notice the typical back and forth of the interview process. I hope this will help you to hear their stories as a complete narrative that addresses all four quadrants of the Blue Roads Changemaker Journey, Homegrown Solutions for a Patchwork World. Today, I welcome twice exceptional changemaker Danielle Coughlin to our changemaker interview. When Danielle talks about being twice exceptional, she's talking about kids who are both gifted and experiencing some kind of learning challenge. She readily admits that this category describes her own experience of the world as well. everyone. I am excited to be here today for another Changemaker interview with an awesome teacher that I know. And I was fortunate to know her before she was a teacher. This is Danielle Coughlin. Welcome, Danielle. Hello. Thank you so much for having me and for setting this up. Always a fantastic mentor, Patty. Thank you. So so nice to have an excuse to just be with you. You're all that you've been up to. Danielle, as you know, And as I've been doing in these interviews, I like to start with the homegrown quadrant of our changemaker journey. And this is where I ask you to tell us about your roots and who your people are and how all of that's important to who you are today. Thank you. So I grew up in southeastern Virginia in Virginia Beach and Chesapeake. My parents were married when I was before I was born. My dad was Navy, so he was deployed a lot growing up. My mom was a nurse. As an elementary school, my mom switched careers between being a nurse to going into pharmaceutical sales, which kind of elevated the economic status of the household. And my mother was very, very proud to be able to provide a lot of opportunities for my sister and I that she did not have. In fact, when I think about who inspires me to keep trying for more, keep trying to serve people, to not give up when things are hard. I really think about my mom. But growing up, I didn't feel that way about her. And she didn't feel that way about me because we were such different people. My mother and father and my family have always thought very differently than I thought about a lot of things. But that being said, growing up with my dad when he was home, the way that we mostly bonded was through conversation, conversation about ideas. Like every time we were in the car, we were talking, you know, theory and politics and philosophy. And he never held back. And even when we disagreed, he would just ask me why. So there was sometimes tension growing up, but most often it was, um, as far as ideas go, 
it was an open opportunity to exchange and to question. And um, I think that kind of impacted who I am today, that ability to have that intellectual discourse. My parents split up when I was a teenager, but probably should have done that beforehand because it was a, a beautiful childhood, a lot of love, a lot of laughter, but there was also substance abuse and other abuse and other components that contributed to, you know, childhood trauma. But I certainly don't feel that way as an adult. I think that everything we went through as kids kind of made us more resilient and bonded us. And I don't know, there's got to be something to it because Megan is, uh, she's an anesthesiologist now and she's a change maker too. She really, she started, uh, remember the Charlottesville rally? She was in medical school at that time and she started a unity rally, helped organize it with the medical school community going on at the same time, a unity rally. She ended up having to leave the unity rally to go into the hospital, but share that it's not me. It's, it's my sister too. There's something about the love and the laughter and the hardships and the turmoil and the discourse that kind of made us brave and resilient and empathetic. I always laugh when I say that I'm a care too muchier. So <laughs> to go into saying what issues do you most care about would be hard because I care about a lot of things. But I will say there's one guiding motto that kind of shaped my path ever since undergrad, which is no mind's lost. I just, I believe that in my core, it's what, who I am and how I'm put on this earth to serve. It is to ensure that no minds are lost. And, and as I've grown older, as I've learned from new experiences and from new relationships, my understanding of what that means not to lose a mind has evolved. Starting off at Radford University, I had um, a concentration in special education. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a special education teacher, but I remember looking at students in my schools, elementary through high school, and noticing that some students were, you know, kind of going around the outskirts of the cafeteria or their classroom was in a back hallway tucked along by themselves. And it really bothered me because how, how are these children receiving an education if they're kept separate from everybody else all the time? That's not how the world works. So I started to study the concentration of special education, and I learned a lot about, you know, accommodations and differentiation, and I loved all of that. I was very passionate about that in my student teaching. And then I met a student named Liam, and Liam is twice exceptional. I did not have a word for that until I met Liam. I myself was a twice exceptional child. I was a gifted student. And then I almost failed my junior year of high school. Chronic underachiever, did, had poor executive functioning. I truly believed for a long time that I was stupid. And meeting Liam in my student teaching experience, seeing his passion for when he was interested in a topic and how much he could do, then also seeing him really struggle with his emotional regulation, struggle with making friends, feeling like he wasn't good enough. And I I saw myself in him and I saw my father in him, my father who is ADHD as well and has started three degrees and never finished one. And, and he's a brilliant man, brilliant man. And I, no mind lost. We have to find a way to reach these twice exceptional gifted children because when you look back at the great innovators of history, they were probably twice exceptional. Look at Einstein or Ben Franklin. 
Temple Grandin, if we're going more modern, really innovative change makers think differently. And at that time in my life, the next step I wanted to take to honor that was to get my master's degree in gift education and really focus on twice exceptional students. And I ended up focusing my master's thesis on the social emotional needs of twice exceptional children, being that twice exceptional children with ADHD or autism are more likely to experience depression. They're more likely to experience anxiety. They're more likely to be underachievers. And all of those hardships are limiting our opportunity to harness their great minds, as well as just meeting their needs as a fellow human being so that they're not suffering. After my master's thesis and twice exceptional, I got my first job at Bayside Elementary School. Loved that place. As soon as I got the job, the assistant principal told me, if you can teach here, you can teach anywhere. (laughs) It was quite a different experience for me. And it opened up my eyes like I had been blind. Because it was the same exact city that I grew up in. And I thought I understood my privilege. We had gone to Malawi together. We stayed there for a month. I thought I understood, you know, I studied the post-colonial critique of Africa, the effects of colonization, the effects of slavery, of racism, of systematic oppression. I thought I understood it. But I didn't understand it until I loved children that at no fault of their own or their family did not have an equal access to the education that I had. Their minds could potentially be lost because of trauma, food insecurity. My school had the highest homeless population in the city and the the highest ESL population in the city. And we had children that had so many outlying factors that were not taken into consideration and those needs weren't met in school. So the whole no mind loss kind of shifted again, looking at that SDL lens, but also educational equity, culturally responsive practices. I started to notice more and more how whitewashed our curriculum was, how we weren't hitting the themes that need to be hit. How are students going to understand the racism they see in the world around them if we pretend like it doesn't exist in our history book? So that kind of evolved the no minds lost and then <laughs> continuing again with the no minds lost is hey how come our divisions are not fixing these problems how are they expecting us to close the achievement gap when we don't have enough guidance counselors or our class sizes have grown by 50 percent in the last five years my class size went from 16 to 24 i couldn't meet children's needs the same way i felt like i was failing them so then No Minds Lost became, I had to start speaking publicly to elected officials. I had to start lobbying. I joined the board of directors for the Education Association. I brought me out of the classroom. I didn't intend to do that, but it was out of need because I love these kids, believe in these kids. It's We need these minds. So um, environmental education, obviously, is something that I'm personally passionate about. But then thinking about gifted pedagogy and thinking about no minds lost, I was recognizing that the way that we were teaching children wasn't preparing them for the 21st century skills that they're going to need in order to address the problems that we've essentially made for them. 
So if we've created a climate crisis, we need to ensure that we are bringing that into our classroom at a young age. So not only do they understand it, attention is the beginning of devotion, they also have that critical thinking, that higher order thinking, that creative thinking. They have the thought structures such as creative problem solving or engineering process or empathy mapping. We have to explicitly teach that so that, again, those minds are being harnessed to address the challenges that we're experiencing. When I think first about working with people different from myself, I think of my students, but I also think of my mentors along the way. I think it's really important to to make friends with people who are different from you, different ages, different backgrounds, different races, religions, circumstances. If you are only talking, communicating with people that think like you do, then you're not getting the opportunity to learn from the collective wisdom. And considering kind of like what I've thought about or what I consider when I'm working with somebody or meeting somebody who's different from me is to go into that relationship and into that conversation being cognizant of my own blindness, that I'm only working from the window of my own experience. So you go in there with that humility, but then you also go in there with grace for yourself. Like, okay, I might have a misconception or I might not have understood that point and maybe I I might change the way that I, I thought about something. But you have to go in with that grace for yourself so that you give yourself an opportunity to grow without judgment. Um, And I offer that same grace to other people that I'm talking to, recognizing that they're working with a different lens than I have. And always respect and kindness, empathy, you know, golden rule, treat people how you would want to be treated and engage with curiosity. We get to live this life for only a certain number of years. Why not take the opportunity to be curious? There's so many things we could learn from the people we talk to. I'm very much making the metaphor, if it's a garden, we're cultivating change, we're growing something. I'm very much in the soil, planting the seeds, fighting back the weeds that are trying to take over. (laughs) So I will start by sharing a win that I have had. So um, got involved with um, the Education Association, took on a leadership role in the Education Association, continued to help strategize the narrative that we're sharing, bring uh, stakeholders, engaging the stakeholders in the mission, making people understand that when the education of an association is advocating, they're not advocating for themselves. They're not advocating simply for more pay. They're advocating because we speak for the kids. There's no one else that's there to speak for the children. We have to. We must raise our voices and be brave to speak on behalf of the children. And one of the things that I did, which I kind of got some pushback for, because a lot of people really did want to push for the pay raises, and I, and I do, and I think that's important. It, it is important so that we can maintain high-quality staffing. But one of my big pushes was in mental health, how we needed more mental health support. We, I'm a gifted resource teacher. I was previously a third-grade teacher, and I've been teaching for seven years. And I have been alarmed at just in those seven years, the increase I'm seeing in children with anxiety, in children with depression, in in children that end up being hospitalized for a period and they're only eight, nine years old. We know when we study the brain that early intervention is key, 
So if we can promote and advocate so that we can get more of those resources into an elementary school, into a public school system, then we can start to dismantle some of the structural challenges that have created these child traumas. We can start bridging that gap and helping to build people from them. So a big win was getting uh, double the amount of guidance counselors than we used to have at my elementary school the, and the other elementary schools as well. The metric changed for how many, and I'm, this is not just me alone. I do not want to take credit for that. It's a team effort. There's so many people working in so many places, but I'm really proud of the work that I've done to bring that team together, to help craft that team's narrative help manage that team's narrative with the community. And then my own personal speaking to elected officials or speaking at public events, it doesn't come easy. These are your, when you're speaking to a school board, those are your bosses. Those are your employers. And it's hard to go up there and not shake completely. And I've done it so many times. You think it would get easier and it really doesn't, but it is validating when you get a win. Because there are lots of losses, <laughs> so many losses. And when you know that you help to push that needle, that's going to get another kid, a guidance counselor to talk to, where that child maybe wasn't previously able to see a guidance counselor, then you know that you might have saved some lives. You might have honored some potential. You might have made sure that no minds were lost there. So that's a win there with the more guidance counselors, smaller class sizes. I've also personally developed some SEL programs that we spread across several schools. After understanding equity, reading the book, Pedagogy of Confidence, and attending a seminar on teaching for social justice, it really became apparent to me that we needed to expand our library. I know it's just a simple step, but it was a, a, an epiphany for me. Oh my goodness, um, if you think about mirrors and windows, my students were only having mirrors, excuse me, windows. I didn't have enough text that reflected their lives, reflected their community. And so what we did is we got a grant for a library, about $1,000 worth of books. And then we collaborated, I collaborated with the behavior intervention specialist as well as the language arts coach and brought in a structure where we could present the challenge that a child is having. Like, okay, I'm arguing with my sister as part of a morning meeting. You talk about it. Then you have an accompanying text that uses that culturally responsive library that the students can see the challenge happening. And then also they don't have to feel as vulnerable because it's someone else's story, not their own. But then we use that text to continue that conversation for that social emotional learning. And we've got that going now across four schools. If we think about the no mind loss along the way of making sure we, we differentiate and provide accommodations, making sure that we teach the whole child, the executive functioning, the social emotional learning, looking at the curriculum from the lens of is it anti-racist as it should be? Is it reflective of the student's culture as it should be? Uh, we concluded multiple perspectives as we should. But then beyond that, it's how we are teaching students and what skills they need to learn. And that's what brought in the global competencies there, is looking at our science instruction, it was integrated, but the way that integration was working was more language arts first, content second, 
And it was mostly just using some things to say we're understanding erosion. It would be a passage on erosion. That's not how children learn best. That's not how they understand how science is a living, breathing component of being alive and, and their role in being a global citizen is being a part of that. And so I really got more engaged in authentic science learning, problem-based learning, project learning. We have so many different names. It's a lot of the same beast. As you find a problem, you authentically engage in that problem, and the students are promoted with student agency. So they're the ones that are taking lead. They feel that autonomy. They're taking action. And we can do that with those UN Global Goals and by focusing on the pieces that align with our curriculum and adjusting our curriculum so that we're teaching through that lens. I was doing that with my own classroom. I was doing that then with my own school. I developed a program called the Change Club in which we did community problem solving through the creative problem process while also learning different leadership dispositions. And then as that expanded, it got the attention of the science coordinator and the social studies coordinator. And I was suggested to serve on the science committee and this curriculum committee. So now I'm currently writing inquiry, learning opportunities, focusing on those global sustainability goals. For my diocese that I'm designing right now is mostly the environmental piece and water. So designing inquiry lessons that use the global competencies and the Virginia standards of learning for the K-5 curriculum. That's what I'm doing right now. It's a lot of fun. Thank you, Danielle. Talking with you always inspires me and makes me want to be a stronger advocate for the twice exceptional students of which you speak. Take a look at the list of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Can you see how Danielle's working on number three, good health and well-being, number four, quality education, number 10, reduced inequalities, and number 13, climate action? What am I missing? Get in touch and let us know. Thanks for tuning in to the Blue Roads Changemaker podcast. We hope you'll follow our work and learn more about how you can get involved and start your own changemaker journey at www.blueroadseducation.org. We'd love it if you could subscribe to the Blue Roads Changemaker podcast and give us a rating on iTunes so that others can find us too. This also helps to elevate the voices of the amazing changemakers you're learning about in our series. Mm-hmm.